Hello and welcome to Overdrive, a program that luxuriates in the realm of cars and transport. I'm David Brown, and in this program we take a look at the latest news stories, including the World Car of the Year Awards. Errol takes a big SUV down to the farm and attracts a lot of cows, among other things. And Alan and I take a drive in a small people mover. It started life as a nerdy car nine years ago, but it has come a long way since. And in our panel discussion with Errol Smith, we take a light-hearted look at stories, including will clothing be the way to encourage people to public transport? Have a question or a comment? Send it to overdrive at drivenmedia.com.au. You can listen to longer segments of each of the features by going to our website at drivenmedia.com.au or podcast the whole program on iTunes or your favourite podcast service. Now, to begin the program... Let's have the news. The Jaguar F-Pace SUV has been awarded the overall winner of the World Car of the Year, as well as picking up the World Car Design of the Year accolade. The F-Pace has become Jaguar's fastest-selling new car. This is the first time that a British car manufacturer, albeit one owned by an Indian company, has won the overall award since they were introduced in 2003. There was a strong focus on luxury brands in this year's winners. Even the World Urban Car of the Year is a BMW. Their i3 has class and style, but is also an electric vehicle. They claim that with their new battery pack, it now has a range of over 300 kilometres on one charge. Other category winners include World Luxury Car of the Year, Mercedes E-Class, World Performance Car of the Year, Porsche 718 Boxster Cayman, and World Green Car of the Year, Toyota Prius Prime. In 2018, a new car in Australia will not get a 5-star ANCAP safety rating unless it has automatic emergency braking. Speaking on a webinar organised by the Australian Road Research Board, James Goodwin, the CEO of ANCAP, noted that only 13 of the top-selling 100 cars in Australia had AEB as standard, which accounted for only 9% of all sales. Researchers indicated that automatic emergency braking could lead to a 38% reduction in crashes and a 20-25% to reduction in fatal crashes. Mr Goodwin also noted that Volvo has reported a marked decline in having to supply spare parts, such as bumper bars, on cars equipped with AEB. Mercedes-Benz Acros trucks in Australia will soon become equipped with an automatic braking system that recognises pedestrians. Their Active Brake Assist 4 system will be available on prime movers and rigid models 18 tonnes and above. The new feature warns the driver of imminent collisions with moving pedestrians and simultaneously automatically initiates partial braking. Mercedes-Benz Trucks became the first manufacturer to introduce the new pedestrian-focused safety technology in Europe late last year. Active Brake Assist 4 is part of the safety pack, which includes lane keeping assist, proximity control assist and attention assist. Since the launch of the new generation Mercedes-Benz truck in September last year, more than 90% of units delivered have been fitted with the safety pack. 
When the $30 million Stockland Kensington retail development in Bundaberg in Queensland opened for the first time in early April this year, some parking spaces were marked in an unusual way. Rather than having a single line between each parking space, two lines created a small island dividing each space. The actual room taken for each parking location is the same, but cars have a narrower area to park between the two inner lines. In fact, it is envisaged that cars park with their wheels on the inner lines. The intention is to make cars park in the middle of the space and allow a consistent distance between adjacent vehicles. The local newspaper reported overwhelming support for the arrangement, although there was some concern about having to manoeuvre into a more specific space and the cost of maintaining the line marking. Fifteen years ago, the ABC ran a series called Bush Mechanics about how Aboriginals in the outback managed to keep old cars going with some rough-and-tumble repairs. The series was made by Aboriginal media company Poor Media and directed by David Batty. Now the National Motor Museum in the Adelaide Hills township of Birdwood is holding a Bush Mechanics exhibition. It will be on display there till the 7th of July 2017 and will then go on an outback tour. The exhibition has been developed in partnership with the Pintubi and Machiri Walpiri Media Group and is supported by the Visions of Australia Regional Touring Program, an Australian government program aiming to improve access to cultural material for all Australians. And this has been the motoring and transport news from the Overdrive Program. So, Errol, you took the four-wheel drive down onto the farm. Was it an appropriate vehicle for that? Absolutely. It uh, doesn't look out of place at all. Uh, Sidled up to some cows. I hope the cows were impressed. We're talking about the Holden Trailblazer, the top of the range LTZ. We had it in absolutely red. No wonder the cows liked it. Yes, yes, it's it's, it's definitely red. Perhaps it was the bull that, uh, you, I'm not sure, can you tell the difference? Well, I mean, perhaps at close range you can. I'm not doubting your fundamental knowledge in any way. I wasn't waving it at them, so I think I was safe. The red car. Okay, we're talking a seven-seater. What sort of engine has it got? 2.8-litre turbo diesel, 147 kilowatts and 500 newton metres, if you, if you care about the numbers. 500 newton metres is a real lot of pulling power. Are they cheap? Well, I guess it depends on your point of view, but uh, you're looking at uh, the one we tested. We could you can get on the road for about fifty-eight, depending uh, depending where you are. The base model starts at around the you know the fifty k or so uh, drive away. So um, you know, in the in the market for a vehicle of this size, um, it's it's you know pretty affordable vehicle. It is big. There is no question. I, I parked it in an inner city street, and Matthew came out and had a look. And uh, his first response was, it's big. <laughs> yeah, so it's seven seats plus extra. It, it is a boat to, to uh, park. Um, I went to the Easter show and I had to do a seven-point turn to get out of the parking garage. But the Easter show, well, I mean, that's perhaps that's appropriate. Let's get down to it. What are some of the pros? Well, it's big uh, in, in a good way. You've got seven seats. You could probably squeeze in seven adults if you really tried. The third row is uh, good seats, although the leg room's a bit limited, but uh, leg room in the back is pretty good for adults. Reversing camera and front and rear sensors, which helps with the size. 
but it's easy to drive it past the get in and go test. It was a little bit hard for your mo- your mother to get up and into it, wasn't it? And a gal, my wife, who's not tall, she sort of had to climb in rather than slip in. Yes, well, someone commented when they got in it, oh, well, you really are up high in this thing. It's easy to drive, but it is still truckish, isn't it? It's I, I hopped into yeah. a sedan after driving it a bit, and I must confess it was immediately obvious that the sedan was smoother and quieter and easier to drive. Yeah, yeah, it it it, it can't quite shake its commercial vehicle roots. So this this used to be called the Colorado Seven, but because it's based on the Colorado commercial vehicles, so um, Holden's doing their, this this thing where they try and differentiate as if it's completely unrelated to that truck. Safety features? Uh, pretty good. You've got seven airbags. It's got passive emergency stop warning, lane keeping warnings, and lane departure warning. Uh, not active though, like you like you would get on uh, some some other more modern vehicles. I found that it flashed a very big sort of bright row of red lights if they thought I was approaching a car too quickly. And I must confess, I thought it was rather conservative, which is good. I I, I don't want it to do it at the last minute. I naturally no. drive conservative, so I, I, it's good. Fuel consumption made for a reasonable range. Yeah, well, uh, based on um, what, what I got got out of it, you could get a thousand k's out of it of freeway driving diesel engine. So you've got that uh, that that benefit there of that efficiency. Full size spare. What about the electronics? How did you find those? Got a, a pretty decent touchscreen system. You've got um, Android and Apple phone integration. It's easy to sync. Can't really complain. Some of its cons. What would you say were things that were disappointing to it? Well, it's the road and engine noise is is pretty pretty obvious in the cabin. It's a bit bouncy. It's mm. got that you know again. It's got that sort of commercial vehicle background in the suspension. The turning circle could be bigger. It's, you know, it doesn't help you manoeuvring it. And there's no all wheel drive. You've got proper four wheel drive with low range, but you don't have an all wheel drive mode for that sort of in betweeny kind of stuff. If you're pottering around in the wet or perhaps on lightly graded roads, it'd be nice to have all wheels doing. USB ports, you had a, a limitation with that. Yeah, well, there's only one of them, which is uh, pretty pretty surprising these days, and it's hidden inside the centre sort of bin. They quite often do that, but that, the surprising thing I found was it had two cigarette lighter power points. I think it's got four or five of them distributed throughout the, the vehicle. There's one in the boot too. Oh, is there? Okay. So I guess that's really for the sort of camping gear. Yeah. So there's two in the front, one for the rear passengers and um, and, and one in the boot. So um, the GPS system was okay, although it doesn't have uh, live traffic or speed warnings, that kind of thing. Climate control was a bit inconsistent. You found the front and rear sensors a, a bit hit and miss, did you? Almost had a close call with a fence post that it didn't quite catch. Ah. But uh, it's significantly better than having nothing. I mean, a 360 degree camera would be awesome, but uh, yes, I don't think that'll be in this in this series yet. And no active safety, as I think we talked about. Any little annoyances? The rear storage, even though it's got a pretty big boot, it's a bit compromised by that third row of seats. So the the, the boot is really high, like the base, the floor of the boot is really high. So you can't fit anything terribly tall in there. But of course, you have the third row of seats. So yes, pluses and minuses. All right. Uh, overall, uh, it, it is what it is, I guess, is a, a summation for the Holden Trailblazer. Yes, it's a you know big, reasonably priced seven-seater SUV with serious off-road capability in an unassuming package. Mate, that's perfect. Thank you very much for your time. No worries, David. 
This is Overdrive across Australia. Alan Service and I went for a drive in a car that hardly sells at all, does not have the latest technology, but still serves a very practical function. About nine years ago, Kia Australia launched the Rondo. It's a mini SUV. You can get the model, and the first one had seven seats. Now they give you the option of five or seven seats. But it was one of the most daggiest cars you could ever possibly imagine. It looked like a Daewoo in decline. You bought it for function, nothing to do with character. It looked like a school shoe that had been picked by the PNC subcommittee. Yeah, who never met. Who never met, yeah. And who thought Doc Martin was a television program <laughs> only. So it never really took off and it's never sold very big at all. Now, Kevin Hepworth, who is the, uh, the senior manager of Communication and Care, he said the following about this car in its market. It's one of those cars, it's, it's fallen into a, a wormhole, if you like, where everyone has got one thinks they're fantastic, but not too many people think of it when they go shopping. Hmm. It's a bit of a lost car. We, we did, we off, we're now offering the, the five-seat version hmm. in an attempt to sort of increase its breadth of um, attention, if you like. But yeah, it's, it's a slow burn car and it's going to stay a slow burn, I'm afraid. It hasn't been uh, had a major overhaul for a while, has it? Or when was the last major overhaul? Two and a half years ago. It's um, it's had a, the, as I say, we've, we've started importing the five-seater as well as the seven-seat car. Hmm. And there's been trims and simplification of the specification lines, but that's, um, that's about all, mate. There's no major drive-tone changes or anything. I've got to say, it looks better. I went on the launch of the first one, which I thought it looked a bit sort of Daewoo-ish. I think you find the new shape of it is more in line with Kia and I think more modern. It's a completely different car to that, David. That was about nine years ago. The new car is, is a, a really clever car. The seven-seater in particular is an incredibly clever car. It's all seven-seat van, which has the capability of carrying seven passengers in a, a, a limited sense around town. It's not, a, it's not like a carnival where there's acres of room in the back, but it is functional. It's a nice little car to drive. It has pretty much everything that you want in it. And as I say, people who eventually settle on the car love it. They, they love it with a passion. The thing about this is it's about two years behind in terms of electronic features and technology. I think you probably notice from the screen, Alan. Yeah, yeah, and there's no lane departure warning and no forward no. collision warning. And no, no blind spot. No blind spot warning. Now, it does have Bluetooth, so you can put the phone in there, but there's no voice actuation for the phone. And no CarPlay and uh, oh, no. Android Auto. No, so it, because there's no voice actuation, it becomes rather cumbersome to use it. I've got to say this about the car. I hopped into it after an SUV, and this... Well, of course, the SUV feels truck-like. Yes. This just felt calm. You know, you feel that it's, it, it's not luxurious. It rides very well. Ah, it rides really that, well. I think that's its strength. It's not going to give you a whole pile of technology. To my mind, a car I got in and felt calm about. Now, now could you drive to Brisbane in this? I could drive to it, but if I had the seven seats, I couldn't have people in the, the third row. Right, but if there was just two or three of you. Yeah. Playing and a room in the back for luggage. That's right. It's uh, it's really, to some degree, almost like 
the station wagon that doesn't look like a station wagon. I'd rather a station wagon that didn't look like a station wagon. Well, some people don't like that. They find it conservative, you know. Really? Oh, yeah. You know, 30-year-old thinks he's not old enough yet to get a station wagon. It still has that parent-drive-to-school image. The reason I talk about it as calmness is that you can't really use the phone unless you stop and dial. It's just too dangerous to do it otherwise. But if you're around the city, you don't want to be using for short trips. No. You don't want to be rushing at the phone, oh, I'm about to arrive. And so this car, which runs like a sedan, smooth and that, I think is a calm car. This is a car I would take a slightly longer trip in order to have a smooth and quieter ride. But if you had your choice of any car, you wouldn't choose one of these, would you? If I lived in a city, if I had the pram, the dogs or whatever to fit in the back, I would consider looking at this car. A lot of people won't look at it, won't even know it exists. It's like a hatchback, but it's got a better boot. Hatchbacks typically have a stumpy tail to yeah, them. Yeah. This has a longer tail. And I think, therefore, is a functional around the city, easier to park than many a huge, big SUV with seven seats. Has this got Kia's seven-year warranty as well? Yes, absolutely. The Kia Rondo comes with a 2-litre petrol engine, 122 kilowatts of power, a 6-speed automatic. Now, that auto has been around for a while, but it's still pretty good. Fuel consumption is rated at a combined figure of 7.9 litres per hundred, a tad high. The 7-seat version has a few additional little niceties, but the extra seats is the big issue. Recommended retail price is 27000 for the 5-seater and 31500 for the 7-seater. To get them on the road would cost you about 31000 for the base model and about 35500 for the top of the range. A longer version of this road test is on our website at drivenmedia.com.au. You're listening to Overdrive. And here we are again to talk some quirky news. And once again, as I say, joining me on the line is Errol Smith. G'day, Errol. G'day, David. I did a video news for a technical society I'm with, which says, will clothing dictate transit patronage? Now, let me step back a little bit. Professor Graham Curry, who's the chair of public transport, transport engineering at Monash University, has written a paper where he concludes, perhaps somewhat obviously, that uh, if you are transferring from one public transport system to another, there is what is called a transfer penalty. Basically, it's a pain in the bum factor where you have to get out of one and go to the other. In fact, even if you get out of one bus, for example, and get straight on a train, it only might take you a minute, yet it feels like a pain of at least, some suggest, 12 minutes. And if the bus had have taken a bit longer but went straight to your door, you'd be much happier with that. But He's now worked out that it's not that simple, and it depends, obviously, I guess, because of the weather, as we would expect, but also because of darkness. And again, not surprising when you think about it, but it's good to have that quantified. So what you're saying is you don't mind changing from one bus to another or whatever on a nice sunny day, but you don't want to do it in a thunderstorm at 1am. Or the alternative is I will make two or three changes if it means I don't have to walk in the rain. Ah, yes, yes, because I've left my umbrella at home again. I've left my umbrella at home. I'm glad you said that, because this is my whole 
context of this story. The MIT uh, Media Labs Tangible Media Group is doing some work on what they call biologic and it's exploring things such as bacterium-based materials that react to humidity. Now, the point about that is then if you wear it, it can react to the fact that you're sweating. So you can wear a Lycra-type jumper, except it's got little vents in it, which open when you sweat. So I think to catch transit, to get public transport, to be able to say that it doesn't matter that I'll walk the last 400 metres or so, is that I need the right clothing. I don't want to have to carry an umbrella, which will blow inside out. I hate that. I don't want to have to carry a separate uh, raincoat. And I believe these biotechnology sites of clothing may even be able to have clothes that resist the rain but aren't sort of as clammy as a raincoat. Would that tempt you to walk? Uh, it would be, although the, there's an implication there that basically you'll get to uh, get to experience the, the sweat and the BO of other people much more quickly because it will uh, their clothing will open and, and let, you, <laughs> let it all out uh, rather than keeping it in. In, in fact, David, when, when I read the heading of this story, I actually thought you meant the clothing, not not so much the clothing that you're wearing, but the clothing that other people are wearing and how much it might put you off using a form of transport. Because if everyone around you is sweating in clothes they haven't watched, washed since last week, you're not going to want to be there, are you? And you're going to want to avoid that that extra trip down that uh, back dodgy part of town. And I think your thought is exactly right. But I think the technology may go enough to compensate that because they're mm. talking about biological clothing that might eat sweat, so to speak, might be able to absorb it. Now, my son says that there are people now travelling around with this woolen vest type thing which doesn't get sweaty and smelly and people have worn it for months as they travel around the world without having to you know, wash their clothes so regularly. Now, I am only going on third hand here and I wouldn't bet mm. on it and I'd be hesitant to think that I can't smell myself so therefore no one else can. There may be a problem there, but maybe we might be able to do it. This is not full biological clothing, but I believe they are moving in that direction. Now, my only point is I love the idea of being walking home in the rain. I just think that I want business clothes that will, without any hassle, I can walk home in the rain, but I also... Mm. I want shoes that I can jump in puddles without getting my socks wet. That could be just me, though. <laughs> it, it might just be. And I suppose you want to sing in the rain as well. <laughs> well, I used that video when I put out this, which we are now loading up onto our website. If you want to have a look at mm. some videos mm. about transport planning, this is uh, ones to do it. Some uh, very serious, some quite, not quite so serious. You know, years ago, I actually took the garbage out and it was raining, so I put on a pair of gumboots and I did jump in a puddle. And I felt really good. You felt like a like a five year old all over again. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I I always feel like a five year old, but this just gave me a chance to uh, put that into practice. To act, act like one as well. Yes. Mm. Yes. <laughs> David, the my my concern here is that these they, they, these clothes are made with bacterium. So um, my concern is that the first time you wash them properly with hot water, uh, uh oh. <laughs> Don't let them get near your tablets that destroy bad bacteria. Yes, or maybe it's yes. good and, bacteria. And so if you put that sort of chemical on them that they're now putting in tablets that you're meant to swallow, perhaps that might make your, well, you don't have to take your pants to a, uh, a person to extend them. Perhaps you just add the right sort of food to the bacteria. I was thinking maybe they have to be, you can just, rather than washing them, you just sort of spray them with a sort of acidophilus laced Febreze. 
<laughs> oh, that's good. <laughs> oh, I can just see the marketing campaigns now, and I shake my head in horror. <laughs> well, David, I, I find that there's 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 also a um there's there's already an incentive for people to travel more in summer because of the clothes that people tend to wear or not wear. around you, but or not wear. Yes, yes, but um, yeah, I don't know if there's much research on that. No, indeed. <laughs> Errol, can you raise the concept of transit travel to a more er elegant level? Um, Well, uh, elegance, David. uh, How about beauty, grace, art, the ballet? Uh, These are not words typically used to describe public transport, but at least in Toronto, they can be used to describe a public transport marketing campaign. It's titled We Move You, and the campaign joins up the Toronto Transit Commission, affectionately known as the TTC, with the National Ballet of Canada and winds up marketing both of them in one hit along with the art scene more generally. The the tagline on most of the posters is We Move You, connecting you to Toronto's arts and culture scene. Will will, will catching a train or a tram make you want to see the ballet? Well, no, I don't normally see what I would call uh, artistic, uh, skilled, flowing movement well flows but sort of in a very random bad way the other thing is will you encourage ballet goers to get onto the transit if so you'll then find a whole pile of transit travelers who castigate anyone who coughs yes 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 and god help them if they've left their phone ringer on Uh, wow yeah well they'll wear evening wear or they'll expect to have exclusive parking for their lexus at a train station Yes, yes. <laughs> now, of course, the implication with this uh, connecting you to, to, to what the arts and culture scene is that you can only get to the arts and culture scene by public transport. Oh, okay. It's maybe a bit exclusionary. Ah. I, I, I hadn't thought of that. I thought of it also from the side that this may be a way of paying off public transport debt because people who go to the ballet are prepared to pay $20 for a program. Mm, You'll be able to. Yes, true. Yes, but but if according to the videos, um, there's a lot of you know very very fit young, uh, beautiful dancers who use public transportation a lot. Um, they just don't use it when anyone else is there, because <laughs> nobody's using nobody's using the, any of the transportation that they filmed in front of. The only trouble is, you then might encourage transit people to go to the ballet, and so what will happen? There'll be a whole rush to get into the concert hall to get the best seats. Men will sit in there and man spread. They'll ignore people who are in wheelchairs. Yes, there's there's always someone talking loudly on their phone in the quiet part of the theatre. All right, Errol. Thanks again, mate. See you soon. No worries, though. See you. Errol Smith and I talking about some unusual stories and adding a sort of perception that I think we need more and more of in our analysis of motoring in the real world. You can hear the long version of this segment by going to our website at drivenmedia.com.au. And this has been Overdrive. My thanks to Errol Smith, Alan Zervis, David Campbell and Paul Just for their great help during the program. Overdrive can be heard across Australia on the Community Radio Network. You can listen to longer segments of each of the features by going to our website 
at drivenmedia.com.au or podcast the whole program on iTunes or your favourite podcast service. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening.